0: If you would, if you have a Bible turn to Ephesians 4, we're going to continue our study in Ephesians 4 about our new identity in Christ. And to title this specific message today, I'll, I'd call it "Learning Christ." Ephesians chapter 4. So we've been kind of laboring the point, hopefully not laboring, but you know you hear it enough times, maybe it'll start sinking in that once we understand, what God has done for us as Christians it should result in a new way of living or as we see it should result in a new way of walking through this world if you're in Ephesians 4 we see that in the first verse there where Paul says I therefore the prisoner of the Lord he says I beg you that you walk worthy of the calling or vocation wherewith you are called and then over in verse 17 he says again he picks it up he says this i say therefore and i testify it's important in the lord that you from here on out that you henceforth walk not as other gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind so what he's telling us is we should have a new walk but it's not a walk that is based on our willpower but it's a walk we're enabled to do because god has done a supernatural work in us he's redeemed us he's he's bought us by his blood and he's adopted us as his children and not only that we learn at the beginning of Ephesians he has come to live inside of us the God of the universe by his Holy Spirit has come to dwell and live inside of us and thus we have the power and ability if we choose to yield to the Holy Spirit within us to live a life of holiness and a life free of sin and he's also given us a knowledge of the love of our lord jesus christ what he has for us and that is no small thing and those are truths that we as christians should believe and act on that is the way we should be living and it has nothing to do with how we feel how we look or anything else so we're supposed to live and act based on what god tells us in his commands what he says in his commands trusting him that he'll make it a reality. He'll make what he says about us to be a reality. So, you know, the man with the withered hand, he he had to believe he had something that he didn't have. Jesus tells him to stretch forth his hand, and he could have said, what hand? Stretch forth this hand? I can't do that. And that's the way we look at ourselves and our sins a lot of time. God tells us to love this person, pray for that person, forgive this person, and we look at ourselves, I can't do that. And he's like, no kidding. But his command is there, and we have to trust that as we believe what he says and obey what he says, that he'll make it become a reality. Like I said, it's not our willpower, but it's on this new creation that we are, this new heart that he's given us, this power that he's put within us. We're trusting that he'll make that manifest. And so that what he says, as we act on it, will become a reality in our lives. So you say, man, God tells you to love that guy that just did you wrong and really did you wrong bad, and we tend to say, well, I can't do that because we just look at ourselves, and he says, well, I know you can't do that. But you got to do it anyways. Stretch forth your your heart. Stretch forth your life. Pray for that person. Love that person, and you'll find that God will make it a reality. So a big point I want to make here at the beginning is that inherent with saving faith is Obedience. You can't cut away obedience from saving faith. In other words, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and commit yourself to him, you are eternally justified, righteous before God. But also what should accompany that is a great change. So the thief on the cross, what happened? He called Jesus Lord, but he can't do a thing, can he? He is nailed to that cross. He can't do anything to quote unquote act his faith, can he? In a sense, he can't do anything to show his obedience. But listen, a great change had occurred in that man. Because if you read at the beginning, it says both him and the other one, they are railing on the Lord Jesus Christ, railing on him. And something happens, doesn't it? It's not his willpower that changed. The circumstances on the outward, nothing changed, right? The Lord's still hanging there suffering, the Lord Jesus Christ. But God, by his Spirit, opened that man's eyes, didn't he? And all of a sudden, there's a change that took place. His eyes were opened to see who he was. I'm getting what I deserve, but this man, God, he is not getting anything that he deserved. And what's the change that we see take place? The railing stopped, didn't it? And instead, now it's Lord. And it's not just the word Lord. Like Jesus says, many will say, Lord, Lord. No, this man was saying Lord from his heart. And if he could have gotten down off that cross, I'm telling you, he would have done anything the Lord Jesus Christ asked him to do because there was a change that had taken place inwardly. And so faith involves more than just seeing the facts and agreeing with the facts. I mean, the facts are important, but faith also involves our will and our emotions in the sense of our love. It involves what we would say is the heart, the whole heart, the whole man. Does a wife, when she comes up on a, in a wedding ceremony, does she just, in a sense, give a nod to the man she's getting ready to marry and say something? Because, like this, wouldn't this be some kind of wedding to be at? You know, Joe, you're my husband because I like your last name, Jones. I just made up, I could have made up a better name than that, but Jones. But I'm going to live with Harry Zinzerdorf. I don't want to marry him because I don't like his name. I'm marrying this guy because I want his name. He says, you know, she says, I love him. I'm gonna, he's gonna be the one to father my kids and give me a place to live. And you would be like, man, if I was a wedding like at a wedding like that, this is crazy. This woman needs to change, right? She needs to change what she's doing. Wouldn't you say, well, if you're gonna marry this guy, you do need to acknowledge that he's your husband and you will have his name, but you also have to give him your love. And your desire. And as they used to say in the old wedding vows, I don't think it's popular anymore, obedience. Oh, nobody <laughs> wants to say that. Strike that from the records. I don't know how often that's said anymore. That's old, that's too old-fashioned, I guess, right? But well, what is another word for this great change we're talking about? Aren't we just talking about the other side of faith? It's repentance. Isn't that what we're talking about here? It's got to be a change in your walk, which is repentance. And let me ask you, there's some people out there, believe it or not, if you ask them, is repentance a requirement for salvation, they would say no. All you have to do is believe. To put repentance in there is to add works to your salvation. Well, let me tell you, sixty times in the New Testament, repentance is talked about. The word, and it's talked about more than that in theory, if you want to put it that way. And what was the first sermon our Lord Jesus Christ preached in the New Testament? Does anyone know? He came in Mark 1.15, and here's what he said. First sermon, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. But repentance is the first word of the gospel. The first word. Luke 13.3, he says this. He says, I tell you that except you repent, you will all likewise perish. He says that twice. And he doesn't say anything about believing in Luke 13. Except you repent, you will perish. That has to happen. And what did Paul, when he preached to the Gentile sinners, what did he say in Acts 20, 21? Here was his message. He says, from the first day that I came into Asia, he said, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks. And what did he show and teach these people from house to house? Repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. It has to both be there. You can't divorce them. And there's a major movement, and it manifests itself in a lot of ways. It says all you have to do is believe in repentance and making Jesus your Lord may come later down the road. But that's not a requirement to be in the kingdom of God. I'm saying that is about as unbiblical a statement and idea as you would ever hear. Paul preaches, and what we're seeing here in this, what we're looking at in Ephesians, is there had better be a change in our lives. That's what he's saying here, that you henceforth cannot walk as the other Gentiles walk. You can't live like you used to live like the rest of the world is there has to be a change in your walk your mindset has to change is what he says you can't live no longer like we talked last week without a purpose walking in darkness with a conscience hardened in sin we can't walk that way anymore you can't pursue every lust that comes in front of you and then just to get more and more and more of that he says it's gotta stop that's what he's saying let's read our text here you're there in Ephesians 4, and let's read verses 17 through 24 today. And Paul said, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth, from here on out, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened. They're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness or hardness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But, he says in verse 20, you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation or lifestyle, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust." and you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which after god is created in righteousness and true holiness and so what we talked about last week we looked at verses seventeen and nineteen what is paul saying there he is saying that sinners actions what they do how they live it springs from their attitudes of their mind and of their hearts and so if we look at the words he uses in those verses it talks about their mind and their understanding. Their mind, understanding, the ignorance that's in them, and their heart. Darkened minds that are cut off from the life of God, they result in lives that work all uncleanness, and they're not satisfied with just a little bit of sin, but he says they do it with greediness, getting all they can, go for the gusto, as it says. A life like that, it's a life with no purpose, we talked about progressively lusting after more and more sin and listen that's the way we were before salvation servants of Satan and sin and I can speak for myself we loved it I loved it maybe you didn't i and in some sense was a happy sinner I guess a miserable happy sinner (laughs) but you know let me talk to we got a lot of young people in here that grew up in church and they hear you talk like that, and they're like, hey, I, I grew up here in church. I, I'm not wild like you, the things you talk about. <laughs> I basically think I'm a good person. Well, here's where the Bible is, comes in handy, so to speak. Have you ever read the list of sins listed in Romans chapter 1? I mean, they are, God considers them vile sins, worthy of death. And included in that list... So I think this might include people that grew up in church, is greed, deceit, envy, gossip, backbiting, disobedient to parents, pride, people that are untrustworthy, unthankful, and unforgiving. So I think, I would say this, I think a church person growing up in our church here that's never drank a beer... Never committed fornication, might have been guilty of envy and deceit, or maybe gossip, or maybe being disobedient to their parents. Wow, rebellious to parents. Do you realize Paul goes on to say that that is a sin worthy of death? You hate your parents? And that's something to think about there. He says, Who, knowing the judgment of God after he lists those sins that they which commit such things are worthy of death they not only do the same but they approve of them that do them they're like glad there's other people that do them with them sinners like the company of sinners and the word to approve means you applaud others that are doing the same things you're doing in that list Paul says this about us for when we were the servants of sin, when I lived the sinful life, he says, you were free from righteousness. You know, when I lived the sinful life, I did not worry about doing what was right. I really didn't. I had my own little set of rights and wrongs and how far it would go, but that's not, I didn't worry about doing right. And that's what Paul says. When you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. And he said, as a Christian, what fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? So your life as a sinner, even, even as a good Christian, quote-unquote, person that grew up in this church, a young, young person, what fruit had you in those things that you did before, that you're now, you're now ashamed of it? And I'm ashamed of what I did. Loved it at the time. I was a greedy sinner, but I think of things i got to quit thinking. It is, I mean, literally, totally shameful the way I lived, even as a young person in grade school but what things i would think say and do to people terrible he's just like you don't think you're that bad i knew i was worse than that before i ever did drugs or got into anything else i was a wicked little eighth-grader seventh-grader sixth-grader keep on going back kept getting more wicked as time went on so i know somebody in here a church kid in here somewhere sitting in here that told me one time he said i never did any of those wild sins but he said this he knew he was wicked One time that the Holy Spirit opened his eyes and convicted him, not about doing crazy wild sins, but those sins like deceit, envy, greed, those types of sins. Somebody that grew up in this church got convicted, was ashamed, and came to the Lord. Because it is impossible for any human being, I don't care what environment you grow up in, not to have a wicked heart that needs to be changed. It's impossible As for everyone in here, we we talked about verses 17 to 19 last week, but I would just say praise the Lord that we come into verse 20, (laughs) because here's what we have here. Paul says that's the way they did live and don't live that way, verses 17 to 19, but he says, but you, talking to those Ephesians, but you. The heathen may have acted that way. They may have no purpose. They have, may, have minds that are set on sin. He says, but you, you're different, is what he's telling them there. You're different. And that you is added. It doesn't need to be there, but it's added and put in the front for emphasis. He's saying, you are different, but you. That's the way you would be reading that. Oh no, you're not like them. We're not like them anymore. We're not like the people we used to be. But you have not so learned Christ. He's painting a picture here. He's going to paint a total picture of a contrast, total contrast between the way the sinners and heathen think, live, and act. And here is the way new creation people think, live, and act. That's what he's getting ready to do. Christians are nothing like them, but you know, you're not like them at all. And why is that? Because he says this but you have not so learned Christ because we learned Christ that has made the difference in our life and that's a past tense he's saying there is something Ephesian Christians that you already know all something you've already learned something you've already known and it's totally the opposite of anything the world knows he says there verse 20 you have not so learned Christ nothing they can even understand the world couldn't even understand they have no purpose but we haven't learned that we haven't learned that our lives have no purpose because now guess what we have as Christians a great purpose don't we a purpose from Christ a purpose to walk in his footsteps a purpose as he did to seek and save the lost is that was that his purpose that's what he said he came to do and that should not be our purpose too now that we've learned Christ seek and save the lost praying for others We're to walk in his footsteps demonstrating the life compassion and power of God through the Holy Spirit displaying to the world God's holiness and justice through our lives through the Lord Jesus Christ living in us is that not a purpose that we should have and exhibiting to a lost world what true love for brethren is what true love for people is he says that's how they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another that's how you'll know that we're little Jesus's little Christians by how we treat one another and our forgiveness and the way we relate to each other looking out for each other all the things we've been talking about lately so what does he mean here by learn Christ in verse 20 because actually that is a funny expression it's it's a funny way to word things biblically And it's easy to just read over that because what he doesn't say, and this is important to note is, he doesn't say you have not so learned about Christ. He's not saying that. We learn about people and things, don't we? You know, we learn about history, science, math, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. We learn about things and people through our life. But this says you learned Christ, not about Him, and it's what He's doing here. He's bringing out, and we'll see here in a minute, because He, He goes on to explain exactly what He means. But we're learning about the personal aspect of Christianity, the personal aspect, because Christianity, whether we realize it or not, and I don't know how many of us really realize it, it is not a religious system. Christianity is a person. Do we understand that? It's a person, it's a supernatural knowledge of a person that is alive and calls us to come to him, not to a system. It's a person that we commit our lives to and we're united to. That's what true Christianity is. So put something there and turn over to 1 John 5. I think it's important that we understand this. First John, chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. 1 John 5, 10. And look what we have here. He that believes on the Son of God has this witness in himself. He that believes not God has made him a liar because he has not believed the record that God gave of his son. And here is the record, verse 11. This is the record. That God has given to us eternal life. And what does it say? This life is in his Son. And look at verse 12. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. It's having a person, it's not having a system. Life is found in a person. He that has the Son and I would ask you, (laughs) do you have the Son? Do you have Him? Do you know do you know Him? We've had that taught to us before, but do you really know what communion with the Son is? Do you really know what it means to have the Son? To learn Christ is to personally learn from Christ, to hear His voice to sense his spirit and to walk with him that's what Christianity is it's not a faith message nothing wrong with the faith message but what is the faith message supposed to do bring us into relationship with him that's all its purpose is it's not a system it's not a five-step process that's our Christianity that brings us our healing it's a person And faith just brings us into relationship with this person, just like faith brings you into relationship with any person, doesn't it? You have to know a person, trust a person, or you really don't have a relationship with them. And that's what Christianity is. It's the Emmaus Road. And he says, you have not so learned Christ, a person. Come into knowledge of Him. It's this, it's if you would turn to Matthew 11. And look at how this is worded. Matthew eleven, verses twenty-eight to thirty. And look at all the personal pronouns that are used here by the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he say? Come unto me, he says, not a system, not a message. Come unto whom? Unto me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He said you have not so learned Christ. How do we learn? We learn from him. Is that what it says? Of me, it's really from. King James is the only translation he uses of. It's from. You learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light there's at least six personal pronouns he's using there. christianity and walking in obedience to the lord is a person not a system how do we approach our healing that we've got this promise that we've got these principles that we need to take what does he say exodus fifteen twenty six i am the lord that heals you not some impersonal promise principle or system but literally the Hebrew says I am the Lord your healer I am the Lord your healer and so when we take the Lord as our healer we're putting our case isn't that what we do when you go to an earthly doctor you put your case in his hand and you trust that he has the knowledge and ability to heal you don't we isn't that what people do and he says I am the Lord your healer personal physician And James 5 is a great promise in there. Anointing with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And how does it say that person's going to come up? The Lord himself will raise him up. That's a different way of looking at everything. Christianity is a person. Jesus is a living doctor. He really is. That we could put our lives in, our case. Let me ask you then, in in looking at this, you have not so learned Christ. Is Christianity, let me ask you, is it fundamentally a religion of emotional experience? Because we're charismatic here. A lot of charismatics, boy, the more emotion, the more all that happens, the more they think it's the Spirit of God. And I've been around praises that to me, it's just like it's a false anointing here. You think this is anointing? I'm not sensing anything of God because this is what I would sense when I used to go to rock concerts and I went one time to a charismatic gathering this isn't part of my message but I'm gonna throw it in there I went there and this to me I'm like I can't join in this worship in good conscience because this is just rock rock music to me that's that was just me and a lady sitting in front of me I could keep seeing her watching me out of the corner of her eye and I thought I know what's coming <laughs> I know what's. Coming. and sure enough she turned around and wanted to know if I was saved because I wasn't joining in with everybody else in what they called praise, and i'm like, yes ma'am, I'm saved, you know I, mean, I wanted to say, I know what's going on here, but i'm just saying it's is religion is Christianity really mainly is that what it's all about, having a good emotional experience, having these experiences, or is it really a religion of knowledge so I would say it's it's not about feelings primarily now I would say. If you have a Christianity that is void of feelings, you know, that's a whole other thing. I don't think that's the case. Because I think joy, peace, love, and compassion are feelings, I would hope. (laughs) It'd be hard to have those without having some kind of feeling accompanying, and those are part of what we have in the Bible. But what are those a result of? You know, we've got to even have our emotions and our feelings and our joy, not based on rock music, but based on the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God's presence. in thy presence is fullness of joy. Amen. So we need to have some discernment along those lines about things, but I'm saying Christianity is not primarily a religion of feelings, but it's a religion of knowledge based on truth. And so here in these verses 20 to 24 here, once again, there is no talk. You don't find anything in here when he says this is how Christians should walk. There is nothing in here about emotions, experiences. But words are used that speak of knowledge if you go back and read it. Learned. You have not learned Christ. Heard, taught, truth, and mind. Those are the words that are used throughout these verses. But go back to Ephesians 4, please. And look what it says up in verse 13. Paul says that he's given these ministry gifts to the church. Verse 13, we read this last week in but let's read it again. Till we all come into the unity of the faith. And what does he say? And of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's what will bring us, he's saying, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so do we want to know and we want our experience with the Lord Jesus Christ strictly to be based on feelings and emotions and anointings that's dangerous when you get into that I'm saying it should be there but in the right way so listen carefully to these verses John 8 32 familiar you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free truth not experiences Luke 1 says this and you child shall be called prophet of the highest speaking to john the baptist to give knowledge of salvation first timothy two four god will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth that is how true salvation comes through knowledge and for second peter one two says grace and peace be multiplied unto you how through experiences through emotions through the knowledge of god and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus our Lord, that's how it should come. And so he goes on to explain, we're over in Ephesians 4, he says, you have not so learned Christ, and he goes on in verse 21 to explain what it means to learn Christ. How do we come to personally know him? And verse 21 is just an explanation of what he's talking about in verse 20. He says, if so be that you have heard him That's how you learn Christ and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So you hear him and are taught by him, taught his commandments, his will, his love for others, not by somebody else. We don't learn that by somebody else, but we're taught. How does it say there? Look at it in verse 21. You have heard him and have been taught how? By him, by the Lord himself, not by somebody else because of our union with him now I like this quote I read one time concerning all this and listen to this he says learning Christ means welcoming him as a living person and being shaped by his teaching and that's what Christianity is all about so we can learn about Lincoln can't we we can learn about him through his speeches his characteristics his family through pictures you look at but we don't know Abraham Lincoln by his personal presence being our instructor, because if you're having that going on, we got some prayer that'll take place when we're all done. And why don't we know? Why don't we know Lincoln that way? Why is everything just academic? Any knowledge that we have of him, and why is that? You know why? He's dead. If you didn't know. <laughs> I don't know how good the school systems working these days. But here's the difference. There's a major difference. Our Lord Jesus Christ is alive, isn't he? And I'm telling you, that is a tremendous difference on how we can learn Christ. You have not so learned Christ. We can be taught by him personally. The greatest person that's ever walked this earth, obviously, can come and instruct us about himself, allow us to know him. He says, come unto me. I'll teach you. I'll heal you. I'll be everything you need, a personal God. And We've got to see that. All of us in here need to see the personality of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so how do we learn him? How do we hear him? How are we taught in him, by him? How does that work? By his Holy Spirit. You're like, ah, it's not the same as him. Oh, yeah, it's the same, exactly the same. So what he wrote to these Ephesians, he says, if so be, he's telling them, that you have heard him. Well, is he saying, is he implying that they were somehow there when he walked the shores of Galilee? Or there in those? they were sitting in those crowds that he's teaching and feeding? Is, is that what he's saying? They could hear his voice in that way? That's not what he's saying. They didn't physically hear him. That's not what he's saying. But through the gospel preached by the apostles and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, a truly personal encounter. And so has everyone in here that knows the Lord, that is saved, has had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. They heard Him, they heard His voice, because how do we know that? The Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Christ in Romans 8 9. There's no difference. God is one. And when he said the Spirit would come, what did he say? He's not going to talk about himself, but he's going to testify of me, Jesus said. And so, who is Paul? Paul said, I I am just an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does an ambassador do? He comes and brings the word of the king to another country or to another people. Speaks the words of the king he represents. And so when Paul would come to the Ephesians or any other group, he'd speak the words of Christ and the Spirit of Christ in him would empower those words and make them the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ to those that heard him and in their hearts those that would believe we tend to say singing is worship do you know its preaching is worship because what happens when we truly have God here in our presence when we sing and worship his presence is here right things come to your mind things become real Truths you were struggling with become realities, right? And it's the same way when preaching is worship. Because if God's sending an anointed word, that word becomes an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about myself, but when I have been under preaching that is anointed, I'm saying you can just sense that Jesus is speaking to me through that preacher. So you're having an encounter. That's what hearing the Word should be. You should be having an encounter personally with the Lord Jesus Christ through His Word. And that's why it's important that the Word is what's being preached. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is gonna be in and bless and speak to our hearts about. If you don't mind, I've got you turned into a few places, but if you would just turn over to 2 Corinthians, and we'll clearly see that, that is what happens. The living God is made real through preaching. Second Corinthians chapter three. Second Corinthians three one, Paul says there do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? But he says this in verse two, you are our epistle or letter written on our hearts, and you are known and read of all men. Verse 3, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be what? You are a letter of Christ. As you walk around, you are the living Jesus Christ living through you. You are the letter of Christ, he says, an epistle of Christ ministered by us. How? Not with ink, but how? With the spirit of the living God. Not in tables of stones, but in fleshly tables of of the heart. And look down at what he says in verse six, who also has made us able ministers of the new covenant, the new Testament, not of the letter, not of the dead letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so Paul is saying is we preach, we come, the living God becomes a reality and writes, and he's working in your heart, revealing the Lord Jesus Christ, writing his laws that you can obey from the heart there. You have an encounter with the living Christ through that word that he's preached, is what he's saying. And so what does it mean to hear him? What is Paul talking about back there in Ephesians? You have not so learned Christ. He's saying God supernaturally opens up our darkened hearts and minds to have an encounter with the living God through his truth. And Paul says that again, we could go through a lot here, and and maybe someday we will, chapter 3, but look over in 2 Corinthians 4, just one chapter over, look what he says, that's what Paul says exactly is what happens. So we're saying there's this darkness as sinners that just envelops us, and God can only break through that. And so look what he says in chapter four beginning in verse three but if our gospel is hid it's hid to them that are lost in whom the god of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of christ who is the image of god should shine unto them and paul says this is what we preach not ourselves but christ jesus the lord and ourselves your servants for jesus sake but look what it says there in verse six but god for god who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has done what he shined in our hearts to give the light of what knowledge knowledge of the glory of God Why? how in the face of Jesus Christ its a supernatural opening of the understanding that brings an encounter he breaks through that darkness and you have an encounter with the face of Jesus Christ by knowledge not by some emotional experience there may be emotions accompanying that and when God does that when God breaks through a blind man can see the Savior Amen. and a deaf man can hear his voice because it's supernatural and that's why for twenty one years of my life I could hear John three sixteen and be totally unmoved because one day I learned Christ. I had a personal encounter with him, and I did. He started dealing with my heart. My wife says, you keep sharing the same testimonies, you're gonna wear everybody out. Well, I don't remember if I shared this or not here or at prison, I get mixed up sometimes. But I still can remember that, and this is the way it should be with people. When God had been convicting me, and I was sitting at my desk, and if I've said it, then please forgive me. At work one day, I could still remember. And I didn't just make a commitment to follow a religion, to join a church. I've made a personal knowledgeable commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and I prayed to him and I said I will do whatever you want me to do I asked him to forgive me my sins forgive me my past come into my life and I would walk with him but I didn't just make a commitment to a system I made my commitment to a person and it's hard to break a commitment to a person especially when that person doesn't do you wrong and the Lord has never done any of us wrong has he? we have failed him many times and things haven't worked but God has the Lord Jesus Christ has never done us wrong he's always been a faithful friend to us and that'd be like a man walking out on his faithful wife how can a man do that And some people yet they do that they've got a wife that's been faithful and true and loves them and adores them, and yet men will walk away from that relationship it's like what is wrong with that guy But when we make that commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, we see what he did on that cross. Not worthy to have him cross the street, but he died for me. And I'm committing myself to you, the one that was willing to do that for me. A person. And you're the same person that says, you'll heal me. You'll supply my needs. A person he's promised us. Not just the dead letter. And that's what happened to Lydia, Acts 16, 13. It says, a certain woman, Paul came, named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyra which worshiped God. She heard us, Luke's writing. He's with Paul. Heard Paul preach. And it says, whose heart the Lord opened, took that veil away, and she's hearing these words these men are preaching, and she's having an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ through that, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken by Paul. And by attended means she acted on those. She heard this Savior. She saw him, that he's real, that she heard his words, come unto me. And she gave her life to him, her and her house. So Paul spoke the words. We're talking about how do we hear him? But God opened her heart, and she heard Jesus' voice through that and responded And that is what salvation is. That is what Christianity is. Verse 21, if so be, he says, back in Ephesians 4, if so be that you have heard him. And so I would ask anyone here today, has God opened your heart? Have you heard the master say, come, follow me? A personal invitation. And have you attended, like Lydia, have you attended to that voice? Have you responded to that voice, to that Savior? Because that's how things work. In John 10, Jesus said that the good shepherd, he says this, he calls his own sheep by name. He calls every one of us in here by name that are his. calls us by name and leads them out. And Jesus went on to say, the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. And that's what we're seeing here in Ephesians 21. If so be that you have heard him. They hear his voice. And he said of us, he said later in John 10 of us, he says, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. That's talking about us, Gentiles. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. Well, how are we going to hear his voice? Through that word that's been faithfully proclaimed down through the ages, through ministry reading the Bible, through fellow believers, through people just sharing in common everyday life. That's how we hear his voice. That's how it works. And so what does Paul mean there at the end of verse 21? As the truth is in Jesus. And I'll say it's highly unusual for Paul. I saw statistics on this. A guy actually surveyed it because to use just Jesus, you don't find Paul doing that. So Jesus is referred to Jesus many times in the Gospels, but when you get into the epistles after the Gospels, he is almost always referred to as the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, especially with Paul, because he is the risen Lord and Savior. To me, there's an element of respect to that. Now, I may say Jesus, but I try to. It's the Lord Jesus Christ and Paul very rarely calls him Jesus but he does that here and what he's doing here is he is stressing that the earthly historical Jesus is the embodiment of truth and that's why he says there at the end as the truth is in Jesus Jesus himself he's saying is truth his person his teaching that we have record of his life his death on the cross Jesus is truth he's saying he embodies truth and as you follow him he's saying you will not be walking in darkness in contrast to the world that we read about in those previous verses, right? They're walking in darkness. Their, dark, their mind is in darkness. They're following deceitful lust, he says. Oh, no, you follow and learn Christ. You're walking in truth is what he's trying to emphasize. And so yesterday, I went to my niece's graduation, and I got this on my mind, this whole, and I'm listening to what this guy's saying. I Actually, I liked him. But he said some things that I might not have paid that close of attention to, so I got this sermon on my mind. And but listen to what he said in light of we're saying that Jesus is the truth. He says this. He tells these graduating class, pretty crowded auditorium. He says, "You aspire to be like Jennifer Lawrence." And honestly, I don't know who Jennifer Lawrence is. I'm assuming she's a popular rock or movie star. You aspire to be like Jennifer Lawrence. Listen to what he told them though. He said, "If that is your truth." live in it and aspire to it and it will become your reality i'm thinking wow, that is a dead-end life there he's saying education just causes this transformation to take place and he grew up in poverty and now he's out of poverty and i've got no problem with that i don't see any special awards going that you're ignorant, you don't have an education and you live in poverty but if that is the goal and end of your life all you're gonna do is go and die as a poor sinner and die as a rich happy fat sinner and you'll end up in hell either way it's really not the transformation that you really want (laughs) but he says you aspire to be that if that is your truth live in it And so I would say to anyone, if your truth you're to is Jennifer Lawrence and you, as Paul goes on to say, you have been snared by a deceitful lust. It's a lust and a desire and an ambition you have. It's deceiving you. All this money, all this fame, oh, if I could be on stage, if I could be on whatever, those American Idol, whatever, oh, that would just be it. And yet you talk to those people that finally arrive there and they would want to give it all away. They can't stand it. They never have any life of their own. It's a deceitful lust. But the life of Jesus and his teaching and his truth, it will lead you onto into a fulfilled life, totally. And here's one other quote. I thought this quote was great because he didn't have this scripture with it, but I thought it immediately brought me to this scripture. But here was the quote. He's talking about this truth being in Jesus. Brian Chapels his name. He said, it is as though the truth that we hear from him, if obeyed, will envelop us and carry us into a relationship with him. Let me say that again. It is as though the truth that we hear from him if obeyed will envelop us and carry us into a relationship with him. So as we hear him and know him and obey him, it will bring us into a deeper relationship with him. Do you know where there's a verse that says that exact thing? John 14:21. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Amen. Do you want to know the Lord personally? Then walk with him in obedience. And he says, I will love you, a person that has a heart like that, and I will manifest myself to you. You will see me manifest we talk about manifestations and Jesus says right there John 14 21 I will manifest myself to that person is that not what we desire it should be manifest myself to him and so the truth in Jesus that we see there it's going to teach us three things and that's what we have going on down in verse 22 23 and 24 it says this it will teach us first of all in verse 22 that putting off concerning your former conversation or lifestyle, it will teach you that you should put that off, the old man. It also, in verse 23, will teach you that your mind needs to be renewed, In verse 24, that you should put on the new man. Those are the three things that that you are going to be taught as the truth are in Jesus, as the truth is in Jesus. When you've heard from him and learned from him, that's what you will learn. And so, in saying that, in verses 22, 23, and 24, put off concerning the old man the former lifestyle and put on the new man he's using a metaphor of putting on and taking off clothing and so what he's saying there is your clothes should match your identity you shouldn't be wearing the clothes so to speak of the old man but you should be putting on the new man take off that old man like an old bad suit or set of clothes and put on the new man You know that's like prisoners. They get out of prison. I mean, those guys got to wear these drag khaki clothes, and it's obvious they're prisoners. Some of them they don't have any clothes. A guy came and said, "Can you guys get me some clothes? I don't have any clothes. I'm getting ready to be released." And some of them literally have no money and no clothes, and they don't care. You're out the door, friend. You're free, but you you're gonna have to wear what you have on. And occasionally, some of those guys have showed up in the local Walmart in Lagrange, and people are freaking out because they think they got an escaped convict here but actually his clothes aren't matching his identity because now he's a free man but he's not wearing free man clothes and Paul's saying there hey your clothes should match your identity put on that new man you've got a new heart put him on like a set of clothes is what he's saying it yeah, is blessed me one time I had a, 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 an old black prisoner came up to me as I'm teaching through this and he said God revealed something to me clearly and he said he showed me that my old adamic nature that old man is dead, and i'm a new man and i mean this guy wasn't like this he meant it and i was really blessed by that i thought he is getting it But he was just so excited that old man the old him and the old him was bad news he is dead he says i'm a new man he's excited and that's the way we should be right And Paul said, that's the truth that we've been taught in Christ. This is how we learned him. It's something that we should already know, that our old man is put off and our new man is is what we should be wearing, so to speak. Romans 6, 6, Paul wrote this, knowing this, this is something that we should know. Our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth from here on out, we're new people. We should not serve sin. That's the way we lived before, servants of sin. He's saying, no, 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 no. You should know that your old man, that servant of sin, is dead. And you should be living from here on out a new way, not the servant of sin. Verse 11 in, in Romans 6, he says this. Likewise, he says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that's not just trying to stop old habits and failing. It's not just turning over a new leaf. happens every New Year's right because that can just be morality you're trying to be a moral person I'm not going to drink anymore I won't get mad but you really want to only and you just can't understand why can't I do this I really would like to (laughs) the church won't let me but it's supposed to be a spiritual transformation that's taken place in the heart that leads to a desire to renew the mind a renewal of the mind, verse 23. It's what he says there. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, a present, continuous, new outlook that will govern the way we take off and put on. That new mind will tell us what to do, what we need to take off and what we need to put on. It's an informed, biblical outlook because we find that through the Word. And so if somebody does me wrong, my old man, I would make sure to get him back but that new man that is informed by the Spirit has a new way of looking at everything. Ah, we don't do that anymore. That was the old me, I've put him off. And now I have a new way of reacting to this situation. And so what does that verse 23 remind us of a verse we've talked about quite a bit in this church, Brother Hamilton has in the past, Romans 12 too, that we're not to be conformed to this world. That's what Paul's saying here. But we need to have a transformation take place By the renewing of our mind. And so what's that mind going to tell you to do? Verse 24, put on the new man. Reckon yourselves alive to God by faith and act like that. The person that's created in true righteousness and true holiness. A man dressed, as he goes on to say in Ephesians 6, in the armor of God, strong in the Lord and dead to sin. That is how we are to now walk and so (laughs) what he goes on to say in the rest of those next verses 25 on through chapter 5 verse 2 is he gives concrete practical examples of how that putting off and putting on works so look at verse 25 for example we're not gonna teach that but i just want to look at it And here you can see how there's the putting off and the putting on he says wherefore putting away putting off what lying and put on what speak every man truth so he's saying put off lying that's the old man but you need to put on the new man who will speak truth and then with every one of these he gives a theological explanation of why and look at verse twenty five he says for we are members one of another and so next time I preach we're going to look through all these down through verses five two of these putting on and putting off these practical people say hey I don't like all this theology and all that other I like practical. We'll get practical next time because Paul does. There's a purpose to all this. He gives practical ways that we can walk our life as Christians. And he practically tells us what it means to put off and put on and why. That's nice of him. even give an explanation in there. I don't always do that with my kids. Give them the why. So let me ask you today we're talking about, have you learned Christ? Have you heard his voice? Have you heard him say, follow me? Walk in paths of holiness. I'll teach you, personally will teach you. Have you heard him say, take my yoke upon me because it is not heavy and my burden is light. Have you put off that old man? Did you bury him with, in your baptism, which is where he was supposed to be? Or are we allowing him to live every day? so like i said at the beginning we have to trust in the power of the holy spirit to make what god says real to us to make it a reality in our life to give us the power to resist temptation and are we consciously walking as new people new men and women every day as people created We're creations of true righteousness and holiness we've got to believe that and act that way true righteousness and holiness get up every day and remind yourself, I am a person that God has created in true righteousness and holiness. I'm going to exhibit that. That is the way he commands me to walk. doesn't ask me. That's the way we're commanded to walk through this life. And ask him to give you the grace to do that. And I have to say as we learn his word and seek to obey it daily, we'll find that we are being completely renewed in our mind changed by the Holy Spirit, and how we view things will be completely changed from the way we used to view things. (laughs) We'll find that this new reality, this new identity, is going to be manifested slowly but surely in our lives by grace. And it will be if we'll just yield to the Lord and walk as He asks us to walk. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you've spoken to us, Lord, and that we here that are Christians, the members of this church, we have heard your voice, that you've manifested yourself to us. You've spoken to us, and you've called us all by name and called us to follow you, and you've promised that you will be our personal God, that you will walk with us, and you'll walk in us, you'll instruct us, you'll heal us, you'll guide us, you'll give us your wisdom, your righteousness, cleanse us by your blood. You'll be everything we need a personal God and we thank you for that Lord I just ask that you'll make that more and more real to all of us that you'll open all of our spiritual understanding to know your love that surpasses understanding and how much you desire for us to walk with you daily and to know you more and to walk in obedience in your truth thank you that you'll do that for everyone in this room and for speaking to us again today we do that in Jesus name we pray Amen